Great. Uh, Do keep your Bibles open at Matthew 26. Um, Before we start, let me pray for us. Father, as we look at one of the darkest moments in human history, please help us feel the weight of it and see the beauty of Jesus. Please help us now. Please help me to speak clearly and faithfully. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever felt so burdened by something that it just consumes you and all you want is for it to be taken away? Several years ago, my boss asked me to lead a kickoff meeting with a big new client with only 24 hours notice. I'd never even done it before. So immense dread just consumed me. I was sure I was going to fail. I was convinced that I'd be asked questions that I didn't know the answer to. I feared that all words would just escape me. That evening, I was a mess. Uh, It was a burden that seemed to tap into somewhere deep within me. All I wanted was for it to be taken away. For you, it may not be running a meeting, but you know that feeling of intense dread and burden. Perhaps it's the night before, an exam which you're unprepared for, or you've just received some devastating news. Perhaps you're experiencing a burden right now, and all you want is for someone just to take it away. As we jump back 2,000 years, Jesus and his disciples are feeling burdened, but for very different reasons. It's night, it's dark. Jesus and the disciples have just finished the Last Supper and are now making their way through the, uh, the streets of Jerusalem. The darkness seems to thicken as they pass through the city walls and out uh, of the city walls towards the Mount of Olives. The disciples are tired. Their hearts are heavy. As they walk, they feel the unusual absence of their friend Judas. Their minds are filled with questions, replaying the moment that Judas left the meal early to betray Jesus. Not only that, but Jesus has told them that he will soon be killed. It just made no sense to them. What about Jesus? What is he feeling? Certainly hurt and tired, but wanting to help his hurting disciples. But how? Say words of comfort? Tell them to run? Run away himself? Or give himself up when he had done nothing wrong. What will Jesus choose? With your Bibles open, let's look down with me uh, at verse 31. (coughs) Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. 
Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the cock crows, you'll disown me three times. But Peter declared, even even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Jesus is effectively saying, you've just learned that Judas will turn his back on me. And tonight you'll all do the same. Bearing in mind how the disciples are feeling, you can't really blame Peter and the disciples for responding like this, can you? They're nothing like Judas. How could Jesus say such a thing? The reason? Jesus is facing something quite different from the disciples. As painful as Judas's betrayal would have been, the burden that Jesus is carrying is a choice. Does he give himself up to be crucified in a matter of hours or does he back out? Of course, we know the ending that Jesus does choose to give himself up. But we're going to see how he makes this choice uh, in three parts. The cost of the choice, the willingness of the choice and the purpose of the choice. Firstly, Jesus chooses to give himself up at great cost look down at verse 36 then jesus went with his disciples to a place called gethsemane and he said to them sit here while i go over there to pray his natural instinct in this moment of darkness is to pray to his father he simply has to pray in verse 37 he took peter and the two sons of zebedee that's james and john along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled It's a touching moment, isn't it? Even in this moment of darkness, he also craved human companionship. Unfortunately, sorrowful and troubled is quite, it's a weak translation. Um, It's more anguish and distress. And we see that when he says to them in verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. But why? Verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In some ways, this is holy ground. Now on his own, we're given a glimpse into Jesus' intimate relationship with his father and a sobering insight into why he's so burdened. On first reading, it might seem like quite an odd thing to pray. Why is he praying for a cup to be taken from him? What about this cup is so awful that he's so distressed by it? Now, the cup here is not a physical cup. It's a symbol of God's wrath, his righteous and measured anger towards sin. It might sound a bit harsh, but it's necessary. Why? Well, some people don't really like the idea of a God of wrath. They just want a God of love. But what kind of God would he be if he just never punished evil? Should he let Putin get away with bombing a Ukrainian maternity unit? Everything within us just says no. For God to remain true to his loving, holy and just character, sin incurs a cost that must be paid for. 
how great is that cost, really? You know the phrase, ignorance is bliss, when a tough situation is just much easier when you have little awareness of just how bad it is. Unfortunately, this is our natural stance towards our own sin. We just simply do not understand the severity of it. But unlike us, Jesus knew exactly how severe the cost was. And in this moment, he's staring at the full horror of it. Yes, the physical pain will be excruciating. But worse will be the spiritual pain of of being separated from his father's goodness as he experiences only his wrath, the punishment for the world's sins. He's literally standing at the gates of hell and can see everything inside. This is why he's so burdened. Do you see how great a cost Jesus was facing? Do you, do I see sin as seriously as Jesus sees it? If we're honest, the answer is no, right? Unlike Jesus, we're not perfect, so we can't truly know the severity of our sin. It's only when the Spirit begins to show us that we can even begin to appreciate the cost Jesus paid. God isn't looking to make us feel guilty, but to humble us as we realise we cannot pay the price ourselves. The cost is too great. The burden is too heavy. We can't imagine what it was like for Jesus which makes the next part of the choice even more astonishing. Jesus chooses to give himself up willingly. As Jesus is praying to his father, what we're not seeing is a brand new plan being made in reaction to Judas's betrayal. In verse 31, he references a 500-year-old prophecy from Zechariah. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Then in verse 54, he says, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Then he reinforces it in verse 56. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. This is no accident. This is no reaction. This is no plan B. Jesus knows the events of, in Gethsemane and Golgotha have always been plan A. How? Because he and his father made this plan before the world was even created. But look again at verse 39. He prays, my father, if it is not possible, may this cup be taken from me. At this point, you might be thinking, Well, if he made this plan so long ago, why is he asking to back out now? I think here we're seeing Jesus's humanity. Jesus was fully man and fully God. But being fully God doesn't mean it's going to be easy for him. Yes, the divine course was set, but he in his human nature still struggled and experienced 
immense temptation. But what does he say next in verse 39? Yet not as I will, but as you will. It's been humbling to hear the stories coming out of Ukraine of citizens willingly going into battle to defend their homeland and to protect their families. They've not been forced into it, but have chosen to go. But here, Jesus displays a willingness that is infinitely greater than that of any soldier. Let's read verse 40 to 44. After praying the first time, verse 40, he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. When Jesus asks for this cup to be taken away, he isn't rebelling against his father's will. Instead, he reaffirms it as part of his prayer by saying, your will be done, not mine. And did you notice the wording then changes for his second and third prayer? As he prays, he's coming to terms with the task, saying, if it is not possible, then may your will be done. As pained as he is, Jesus is willingly obedient to his father's will. This is vital. Jesus wasn't forced into it as if it was some sort of cosmic child abuse. Let's just stop and try and get our heads around this for a moment. Just imagine it's still bitterly cold in the middle of winter and in the middle of the night, I broke into your house and forcefully dragged you, the kids, the parents, everyone, out into the freezing cold street. How would you feel about me? Not great things, right? But what if I knew you had a gas leak and out of love I was pulling you out with force before the house blew up? How would you feel about me then? Hopefully now you'd be willing to trust me and leave the comfort of your warm bed and suffer the cold. Why? Because you know that I'm doing it out of love to save you. It changes everything. So even in his darkest moment, how can Jesus pray? Father, not my will but yours be done. Because he knew his father loved him. And his motive is always good. If there was any plan that Jesus trusted in that dreadful hour, it was his father's. In your darkest moments, how do you respond? Anger towards God? Doubt that he really knows what you're going through? Doubt that he loves you. Doubt that he knows best. And try and manage in, uh, in your own strength. 
In those moments, remember Jesus. Take comfort that he knows what that darkness feels like. Like Jesus, take comfort in the Father's love. Like Jesus, trust that the Father's will is ultimately best. Oh, how he was tempted to doubt his Father's plan. But he knew the cost and willingly chose to give himself up. This was the turning point for Jesus. After praying three times, he's now absolutely resolute on going to the cross. But the last big question that we need to ask is why? Why is he doing this? Jesus chooses to give himself up for those who turned their back on him. Up until now, our focus has mainly been on Jesus. But what have, the, what have the disciples been doing all this time? In verse 31, as they're walking out of Jerusalem, Jesus tells them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. They respond strongly, saying, this will never happen. When reaching Gethsemane, he tells Peter, James and John to keep watch. But after praying once, Jesus returns and finds them sleeping. In verse 40, he says to Peter, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus prays a second time and comes back to them sleeping again. He prays a third time and final time. And then verse 45, he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Three times, Peter, James and John failed to watch and pray with Jesus. You'd think Jesus would be fed up with them by now and perhaps just to tell them to go away. No. He says, verse 45, Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus still wants them with him. Jesus wants them to see what is about to happen. In verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. Uh, The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, Rabbi. And kissed him. Kissed him. What? What a brutal way to betray someone. Without hesitation, he has the nerve, the audacity to single his friend out with a kiss. What must Jesus be feeling at this moment? Lots, I'm sure, but we know that he is resolute. On going to the cross, for he replies in verse 50, do what you came for, friend. Friend. What kindness and mercy to say this to your betrayer. Let's read on. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Let's be honest, this is a pretty odd tactic. 
And we know from the other Gospels that this man is Peter. Set on, uh, but Jesus, set on giving himself up, rebukes him. Verse 52, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then will the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen in this way? So far, we've seen Judas turn his back on Jesus. We've seen the disciples say they would never do the same, even to the point of death. But what did they do? Verse 56. They all, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Just as Jesus predicted, they all turned their back on their friend and fled. I wonder what your reaction is to that. Mine is shock and embarrassment for them. Surely I wouldn't have done that. But the point is, we all have. Several thousand years earlier, in a different garden, Adam and Eve turned their back on God. And this has been the pattern that has been followed by every human since. This is sin. A burden deserving of God's eternal wrath. But here in this garden, we see the sinless Jesus willingly choosing to give himself up. Why? To take our heavy burden of sin upon himself on the cross. So that we might be given Jesus' perfect record of obedience as if it was our own. This is love. This is grace. This is salvation. This is hope. So far, we've seen Jesus choosing to give himself up at great cost, willingly, for those who turn their back on him. So here are two ways that this might impact us. Firstly, let Jesus take your burden of sin. Remember how heavily I felt that burden of running that client meeting? What happened? Well, knowing how stressed I was, my boss texted me the night before and said he'd run it instead, as he didn't want me to have a rubbish day. (laughs) And when I got that text, I burst into tears, like tears of relief. For in that moment, that heavy, seemingly inescapable burden was just lifted off me. And it felt wonderful. If you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, let Jesus take your burden of sin before it's too late. You don't need to unburden yourself and then come to Jesus. No, only Jesus can do it. For the rest of us, however we're feeling, worship Jesus for the burden he's taken on our behalf. Perhaps right now you are feeling burdened because of guilt over persistent sin, ongoing stress and worry. 
a struggle with their mental or, uh, or mental or physical health. Anxiety about the future. Life just feeling grey. Or you just feel God is withholding something or someone you long for. But what does Jesus say in Matthew 11? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' heart is for you. He knows your temptations and burdens. He doesn't promise to make life easy now, but he does promise to be with you now and for eternity. In the darkness, you can trust in God's will for your life because he loves you. He really does. Perhaps there's an area of your life that you're unwilling to say to God, not my will, but yours be done. Come to Jesus now. Repent and trust him because he loves you. And finally, watch and pray with him. Perhaps you'd say uh, your Christian walk is mostly okay at the moment. No doubt the disciples thought that. But what does Jesus uh, call them to do in verse 41? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch for what? Well, for the disciples, is it Judas? Is it the soldiers? No. That they would not fall into temptation. And turn their back on Jesus. After saying that they would never, that would never happen, the disciples slept instead of watched. And then when the pressure came, it caught them by surprise and they fled. Is there a sin in your life that you're tempted to say, I would never do that? Say that again. Is there a sin that you're tempted to say, I would never do that? In my final year of uni, I lodged with a slightly older Christian guy from church, involved with music and youth work. He was someone that I respected and loved. Years later, he and his pregnant wife came to our wedding, leaving their two-year-old with the grandparents. But not long after... I got a call from a mutual friend who said this guy was having an affair with a colleague and that he decided to leave his wife just days before their baby was due. I'm sure he meant his wedding vows, but over time he turned his back on his wife, his friends and Jesus. It's shocking. It shocked me. Although our intentions might be willing, our flesh is weak. And I don't mean to scare you, but if we're to take sin seriously, then we need to have the humility to admit that there is no sin that we could never commit. We've seen it with the disciples. 
As, like we've seen with the disciples, we are in greater danger when we assume we are not in danger of sinning. But we are not alone. We are called to watch and pray with Jesus. So don't trust in your own abilities. Humbly depend on Jesus and watch and pray with him and like him. For he chose to give himself up for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus was willing to give himself up at great cost for us. Thank you that Jesus paid the price for our burden of sin. Father, please humble us and change us. Please, by your spirit, in our brightest days, in our darkest days, give us a greater awareness of our sin, a greater comfort in your good plan, a greater love for Jesus, and a greater longing for that day when you will lead us safely home. In Jesus' precious name and for his glory alone. Amen.